Hi, folks, and thanks again for tuning in to the Coffee Geek podcast. This is the voice of the CoffeeGeek.com website, and I'm your host, Mark Prince. And if I sound a bit mellow tonight, and if my choice of intro music is kind of mellow, it's partially because I'm recording this at 2.45 in the morning. I want to get this podcast out today, and Wednesday is proving to be a very full day for me, so that meant I basically had to stay up very late into the night editing the last bits of the interview and our news segment. Our intro artist is actually uh, an artist I found on GarageBand.com. Her name is Krista Couture, and I love this song. It's called Number 4, but it actually has a coffee theme running through it, and it's playing in the background. So... Let me get rid of a few laundry items first, and I'll get you right into the show. First of all, I got an email uh, from a fellow who, uh, there's a podcast online that I talk to you about all the time. It's called the Portafilter.net podcast, and I love it, partially because, you know, I'm good friends with Nick Cho and Jay Carrigate, the two guys hosting it, but I also just like their style and everything else. It's not quite the style I want to do with this podcast, but... I love listening to it. Well, I got an email from someone named Carl Smeltzer regarding a certain Nick Cho, and I want to read it to you. It says, Hi, Mark. Since you've been on the topic of consumer education lately, especially during your roundtable discussion, I feel Nick Cho deserves a hearty shout-out for the work he's done on the U.S. East Coast. If you dig back a few months in the United States Eastern Regional Forum, you'll find he has hosted a chain of events at his stores, free of charge and open to the public, that have been wildly successful. Most recently, he was able to obtain samples of various big-name espresso blends from around the country, including but not limited to Heinz, Gimme Coffee, Intelligentsia, Counterculture, etc., and he organized a large-scale tasting The event drew some 30 people, including a freelance national public radio reporter. None of the guests, save for Nick's own employees and myself, were professional baristas or even coffee geeks, at least to my knowledge. He had everyone, either alone or in small groups, fill out tasting charts and provided SCAA flavor wheels as guides. Fantastic work and great fun. I feel confident that everyone in attendance learned a great deal about espresso that night. I wanted to make sure that your listeners knew what Nick Cho was doing for the consumer public. And that's from Carl Smeltzer. So, big shout out to Nick. Nick runs Murky Coffee, actually two locations in the Washington, D.C. area. In fact, uh, I believe that the Washington Post right now is having a... um, a poll or something, you know, pick the best spots in Washington, D.C., and Nick's Cafe is up on that list. So if you, if you happen to go to WashingtonPost.com, you can actually vote for Nick's Cafe. And considering what he does for the public, you know, why not? The boys kind of poked fun at me and my girlfriend on their last podcast, the one that just came out a couple of days ago. But, nah, sorry, Jay, sorry, Nick, I'm not going to retaliate. After getting this email, uh, it's all good feelings. Other than that, uh, there's not much else. I'm going to tell you what's on in this show, and then I think we're going to listen to a bit more of this intro song and get right into it. First up, we actually have the long-promised news segment with Jeanette Chan and myself. That's approximately 12 minutes long. And then after that, we have the second of our two interviews with George Howell. And it's something definitely to look forward to. George talks about home roasting. He talks about pioneering various things in the coffee world. Uh, He talks about his favorite coffees. I just, I don't want to give too much of it away. It's amazing. You got to check it out. And one last bit of laundry. Again, I'm going to ask, and if you enjoy this pod show, if you can go to podcastalley.com, search for the Coffee Geek podcast and vote for us and also itunes just came out with support for for podcasts but coffee geek as of this speaking is not listed so if you happen to have a mac account or an aol account or you use itunes 
Go in there, go into the podcast section and request the Coffee Geek podcast. You can, it just says add a podcast. There's a button right in the middle of the sort of interface page and you will have to type in this URL. It's not too long, but I'll say it slowly. www.coffeegeek.com slash podcasts. That's plural slash cgpodcast.xml. It's our RSS feed for the podcast. If you could add that to uh, iTunes, it'd be great. I'd like to see us listed on there soon. And you know what? Do the same for my my good friends over at portafilter.net. Vote for them on, on Podcast Alley and add them to the iTunes podcast library as well. Okay, let's get into it. So, uh, a long promised segment is about to start. I'm sitting here with Jeanette Chan, the news editor from CoffeeGeek.com. I'll copy my friends Nick and Jay. Party on, Jeanette. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, folks. (laughs) So, Jeanette, what news stories do you have for us today? Well, we have a story about the USBC. That's the U.S. Barista Competition. That's a popular event that happens every year, and they shoot lots of video. I know. But... Have you ever wondered what they do with all that video? I do wonder, actually. Apparently nothing. Absolutely. Anyways. What do you mean apparently nothing? Why? The SEAA has posted a notice on their um, website as of Monday asking if anyone could edit the raw footage pro bono. And that means... Is that the 2005 footage? Yes. The 2005 footage. What does pro bono mean? Free. (laughs) Oh, man. Unbelievable. Actually, I'm just playing around here. I, I'm very familiar with this story. I've been following it. I even posted something on the SCAA boards. It's just, it's kind of a joke. Well, the only thing I don't understand is why they can't just get someone to do it and then give them a um, commission, a percentage. Well, I posted actually something opposite of that. I said that, they, you know, if they can't afford to hire an editing company to do it, what they should do instead is shop around the raw footage and say, look, editing companies, look, you know, like like Bruce uh, Maletto, Dan at Bellissimo, someone, you know, it doesn't matter. Here's all the raw footage. You guys cut a two to three hour DVD. You get rights to the final product. You give us a commission. You give us a cut on your sales. And voila. And they may find someone. See, I mean, it's like, you know, we're talking 75 to 100 hours worth of material here. Yeah, but and how, how how hard is it to edit? I mean, well, like, that's a point. I have an editing program on my computer. It's, it's seventy-five to hundred hours of material, mm-hmm. and you got to fit. And it's not even mini DV; it's actually DV cam, which is like lots of storage space for the hard drive. So you got to figure. I, I talked to a film friend this morning, and he told me that you got to figure roughly three to four hours of editing time for every hour of tape. Mm. Yeah. It's not like they're asking like a volunteer to take a weekend off or something and give a couple of days labor. I mean, I've I've done my fair share of editing and uh, well, not editing, volunteering. I volunteer for a lot of things, but it's over 75 hours worth of it's a lot. Well, well, anyways, I hope I don't I don't know what's going to go on there. It's pretty sad. This is like uh, the the USB-C is an excellent marketing tool, especially if there's a nice slick video package out and and it's just not being done. But we'll, we'll see. What do you got next? Um, I have something, uh, a company in Seattle called Eastman Tenite. They actually have something that they've called uh, cellulosic encapsulated coffee scent. Oh. It's basically plastic that smells like coffee. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm thinking maybe the next thing they'll do is they'll like make Barbie dolls or something out of it. And plastic like, that smells like coffee. Yeah. So it's and like, what's their whole marketing spiel for this thing? Um, I think it's for the uh, probably the yuppies that are have decided that ca- caffeine and coffee is bad for them, so they just love the smell of coffee. Or maybe you know, just, you know that little pick me up, and you just you know, or you want to tantalize. Oh, it'd be a great prank for you know your coffee lover that really wants to 
Oh my god! Wake up and smell so coffee. What, 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 like they're going to build alarm clocks out of co- out of like coffee smelling plastic. That's kind of like. What, a, could, do they have the ability to turn the smell on or off? Uh, I don't think they can do that. <laughs> what, what if it's like scratch and sniff plastic? You know what? I think I found a sticker that was a scratch and sniff coffee <laughs> scent. So I'm oh, going to be able to. This is like so. So what? How did you find out about this? Is it like a press release or something? Um, I, I it was. Um, I think it was, no, it wasn't a press release. I saw it as, um, well, as a news story, actually, somewhere. Oh, my gosh. And uh, and what, do they have, like, vendors that, are, like, so you said Barbie smell, like a, a Barbie that smells like coffee? <laughs> well, no, I was just thinking about how much we live in a, uh, a plastic world. So, oh, man. You know, if everything is like, oh, I know, we could make our credit card smell like coffee. Okay. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next. Well, I have... Uh, something about the Netherlands, which is now in the, currently in the middle of a controversy where it voted... Wait, you, mean, you mean Holland, right? Holland. Land of Amsterdam. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Well, it voted against the European Union Constitution. Who or, did? The, Holland did? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's the Netherlands. Apparently, the Dutch are a little bit uh, worried about uh, voting for the EU Constitution just because it might uh, make them have to close their special coffee shops. Ooh. Yeah, they have these coffee shops there. They can uh, sell extras, like, you know, Wait, wait, wait a second. I understand. It's available anywhere else. I really. understand. How is voting for the European Union Constitution going to shut down their special coffee shops? Well, because it's sort of illegal everywhere else, so there would be pressure. What's illegal? Coffee shops? No, not coffee shops. Just they have extras that they don't really want to... Well, what, what are all my friends in Seattle going to do if that happens? Uh, they'll never go to Europe again. They go to Canada. Yeah, they'll come to Vancouver. <laughs> Commercial I mean, drive, yeah, consider folks. Consider we have a political party. So, oh wait, I get what you're talking about. You're talking about brownies as special ingredients. And, I like brownies. And, brownies are and, good. Mm, Chocolate is very addictive too, mm, sort of like coffee. Mm. So, so, so they're voting against the Constitution simply because they don't want their cafes to be closed. Yeah, well, they don't want uh, a change in their lifestyle. I think that's what the, the question is. And since uh, the, their coffee shops actually bring in a lot of income uh, every year, lots of taxes, employment, and it brings down their crime rate. So that's <gasps> why they were so concerned about See, it. See, maybe our American friends can learn a thing or two from allowing special coffee shops once in a while. I know. Oh, anyways, I'm, I'm off on a tangent, and we have to move on to your next story. Well, the next time you're in Australia, you might get your espressos made by an ex-con. What? Uh, they actually have a new program there where they're allowing female prisoners to be trained as baristas. So that Rock on! Them. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great program. That's cool. I mean, the more programs that they... So it, you said it was female? Females, Convicts? Yeah. Female convicts. So you, you never know. And, and, and they're working in a, in a cafe where they're actually learning how to bake... Uh, Do you know the name of the cafe? It's called Cafe Terra. And where is it? It's in Victoria, Central Victoria. Ooh. And... I, but that, by the way, that's my best Jay imitation. Jay from the portafilter.net podcast. You ready to hear it again? Okay. Ooh. Oh. Trish... Anyways. <laughs> so, apparently they're going to be learning how to make good coffee, so you never know. And they're learning how to bake fresh muffins, and, of course, I wonder if they're baking brownies. <laughs> <laughs> Are they baking any other goods, like goods with, you know, files and stuff in it? I, I, you know what? I wondered about that. I was thinking, it's like, well, that, that would be useful, like, you know, mm. something. And maybe they'll bake, bake cakes. Or wasn't wasn't there wall banger cake? What was that called? <laughs> okay, okay. But anyways, like, is it the program's just started? Yeah, it's pretty new. It's, it's pretty it's, new. Yeah, well, from the beginning of June. So. Oh, okay. Well, no, that's pretty cool. It's that's good. I know down in Seattle, um, they there's a program that that our friend Bronwyn Serna was working with that worked with street kids and taught them barista skills so that they could not just go to like Starbucks for, you know, a minimum wage job or whatever, but could actually get a job at one of the better cafes in town, you know, earning substantially more money and and a lot of tips. And that was a, that's a very successful program from everything I've heard. So, you know, why not? Well, I think it's always good to give um, everyone as many possible skills as possible and, you know, barista skills. um, And baking. And baking. (laughs) Well, I mean, anything that actually helps people get more skills is uh, a good thing. Okay, so that's our news. Now we're going to do the last thing, and this is another segment 
featuring Miss Jeanette Chan, the news editor from CoffeeGeek.com, and it's called <laughs> it's called the 90 Second Rant. Now Jeanette likes to rant only in private. You do, you do. I don't. But rant. usually only in private, only to your closest friends. And I've somehow convinced her to do a public rant, but I'm limiting her to 90 seconds. In fact, I have a timer here. Set up. There you go. One minute, 30 seconds. And as soon as I say go, you're going to go. So are you ready? Okay. All right, let's go. Okay. I'm lactose intolerant, but I really like lattes, cappuccinos, other kind of coffee-based drinks. And I'm not the only one that's lactose intolerant. There's 90% Asian Americans, 70% African Americans, 74% Native Americans, 53% percent uh, Mexican Americans and 15 percent Caucasians who are all lactose intolerant and who cannot enjoy these drinks. Soy milk based uh, soy based drinks uh, that are for cappuccinos and lattes really suck. It does not froth, does not work very well and I think that cafes should start considering to offer lactose free milk drinks to their customers, their clientele and I can tell you that I would be there every day if I'm not making at home, that is. But that's the only reason why I really enjoy, um, I really want to make sure that we actually have um, more people understand that it's important to deal with it. I also can't become a judge because of that same problem. And right now they're only being offered in two li- uh, one liter and two liter containers. Um, that's because we're in Canada. But <laughs> uh, I would like to see four liter jugs um, being offered because then places like Starbucks or other places will actually be able to offer it. And right Ten now, seconds left. Oh, that's just making me nervous. And then, um, anyways, and then I'm planning on um, pushing this more through Dairyland and all the other milk. Places. Time's up. Time's up. Good rant. Good rant. Good rant. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, so much pressure to talk fast and not too fast. So, what, they're only like one and two liters? Yeah, only one and two liters. Only one and two liters, and I really, you know, am trying to buy four-liter jugs. I actually write to um, our local milk. I'm kind of cheating right now by letting you rant a bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm writing actually on a regular basis to Dairyland to ask them to provide it more. I finally tasted some of this lactose-free milk, and, and it freaks me out a bit because it's, like, really sweet. Yeah, it's sweeter. It's frost better than regular milk. I've actually been testing it. Wow. I mean, if I need to change it a little bit, I can holler it a little bit. I understand the carb count is lower, too, than normal milk. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. That's a bonus. Not not by much, but it is lower. Thank you, Jeanette. That was great. This was a great first newscast. I, I, I hope that you're going to join us for more. Well, I guess it depends if anyone actually likes this and listens to me. So what they should write to you direct? Should oh. we give it? Should, why don't you tell your your Coffee Geek news editor email address? What is it? News? <laughs> <laughs> it's news at coffeegeek.com. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. See, I, I never write myself, so I don't know. <laughs> send me an email news at coffeegeek.com. And and why should they send you an email? And if you find anything interesting about uh, news that you would uh, think I should talk about, you can ask me. Or suggestions for future shows. Yeah, suggestions for future stories, or even if you would like to hear me again, because I don't know how much I like doing this. <laughs> Well, thanks, Jeanette. This was great. Thank you very much. Bye. I cannot sit still. I will twitch. I will travel. I am leaving what remains of me. As I am unravel, I wander through the side streets. Fell in love with Amsterdam and we wave through the canals. As the night across my hand. All right, we're here now for the second uh, interview with George Howell. If you missed the first one, uh, it's up on the, it's in the podcast feed, so definitely check it out. Uh, in the first one, we talked to George mainly about his history in the world of coffee, the Coffee Connection Company, uh, and a few other things. And now with this one, we're going to get more into the subject of bean quality. So, George, hi. Hi there. Are you ready for the second one? Well, I hope so. <laughs> The first thing I'm, I'm going to ask you is actually what we finished off uh, in the last interview, and that was the fact that uh, this year uh, a lot of people around the world were shocked, surprised, confused, whatever you want to say, about the fact that the uh, the World Barista Champion, it's uh, Trolls Poulsen from um, Denmark, 
uh, was using your coffee. And, and I was about to say blend, but it wasn't a blend. That's where it was really shocking. It was a single origin espresso that he used to win the world championship this year. Yeah, they um, they called me right at the start when they uh, started competing, um, of course, in Denmark first, and they wanted uh, that coffee. Interestingly enough, it's not a blend. It's not a blend in the traditional coffee way of using it, uh, but it is, in fact, a blend of different varieties and even slightly different processes from the same farm. Actually, tell us tell us what the coffee is and what the farm is, George. The farm is Datera Farm uh, in Cerrado, Brazil. Very large farm uh, run by uh, Luis Pascual, who is himself a fanatic over over coffee uh, and, and quality and its various expressions. Uh, who has been really a pioneer in developing new and uh, and better processes to produce quality, uh, particularly uh, in espresso, if you will. So I've been working hand-in-hand hand with him in that development. And so the, the involvement, the Danes called you up and said, we want to use your coffee. Let me just ask you, first of all, were you surprised by that? Yes and no. Um, I had been talking to them before. We shared certain values, European values, I have to say, and more traditional values uh, from Europe than, um, than what you see in the States, where, of course, one, light roast has been prevalent, uh, unlike the United States, where dark roast has taken over. Mm-hmm. So um, they were looking for a lighter roast expression. They knew me and had tried our espresso before, and they had fallen in love with it. Now, in in the process of them using the blend and deciding to use it in the World Championships, were there any was there any suggestions, feedback, sort of collaboration to further tweak how the coffee was roasted and prepared? No, they loved it from the start, so there was none of that. And I I have to say, what's really to me what's exciting is this wasn't one World Barista Champion. This was three of them. They all come from the same place, Cafe Europa in Copenhagen, and it was the team and all three of them that really felt that this espresso really represented what they wanted to express. Well, I know from seeing I know from seeing the judges' scores that the taste in the cup was a huge hit. And by the way, it, uh, I personally believe, and it's only personal, that um, when you use this coffee, uh, the, the Daterra, particularly what we call the North Italian, the lighter roast of the two, it does away with cafe latte. It makes the cappuccino so amazingly smooth of one fabric and so sweet as to be a completely different experience. The uh, I know I tried it at the show and I was I was impressed. I the last time I tried your espresso blend, you had like a northern uh, Italian blend or roast yeah. level. And what was the other one a couple of years ago? Uh, the other is South Italian. But, and I, you know it, it was a good it was a good espresso and I enjoyed drinking it. But there was something magical about that Deterra I tried in uh, Seattle. We had tweaked it last year uh, by uh, adding uh, still another component from Datera Farm, uh, which was uh, closer to a natural process. It added uh, fruit and chocolate depth that we had not had earlier. It also helped that I did have the eventual eventual world champion pull me the shots, though, I have to admit. <laughs> well, that does help. <laughs> Um, George, actually, my, I, I want to ask you a bit about another project that, that's very near and dear to your heart. It's the Cup of Excellence program. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. you. I, I was told that you're not the founder or the starter of it, but you were definitely in, in early days. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I share that, that honor with, uh, with Susie Spindler, okay. uh, who is still running it to this day and who just has such amazing insight well insight and uh and staying power to keep going but the conception of cup of excellence the idea of a competition with the most stringent stringent standards in the industry still bar none and followed by an internet auction that was my idea and it's just you know it's it's a very young program when did it start it started in 
late 1999, when project I was working with uh, called the Gourmet Project was winding down and we had to find a way of really remunerating these farmers for producing higher quality. There was no other way than to create a competition. I know like just in the last six, it's, it's really only been around for six years, but now a couple of excellence is on the tongue of every specialty roaster. Uh, even consumers uh, are starting to hear about it. Amen, and as well as it should be, because, again, we uh, it's only through fair trade, Oxfam and fair trade, that you hear about uh, how difficult life has been for coffee farmers, whether they're small, medium, or large. And yet, we continue to emphasize blend, this blend, that blend. And so the farmer remains completely anonymous. Mm-hmm. Almost in every case, very few exceptions. And as anybody knows, in this world of branding, if you're if if you're a coffee farmer and you're anonymous, you're in a buyer's market. For sure. And cup of excellence goes a long way, along with the auctions. I think, uh, like the Q auctions, to really push the farmers into the forefront. Yeah, I think cup of excellence and the Q auctions are dramatically different. Um, I think Cup of Excellence really is looking for the finest, best crafted expressions of coffee from each area. And I think that's the emphasis that we need to give. Uh, I think basically most specialty coffee is, quite honestly, fair, average quality with a super name specialty or whatever on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily super high quality. I don't think that the vast majority of Colombians, Perus, and other coffees around the world that you taste come close to what their highest expression can really do. And that's what's exciting is this is all in the future. And would you say that's true throughout coffee history, or were there times in the in the past where there were just some stellar coffees, but then... You know, the either something like I, I know that Java was gone as a crop in the in the in the late 1800s, and I remember reading some some old books and, and old texts about about how it was the bomb of a coffee. I had a Java a number of years ago, very small beans that I had, uh, actually one from Erna Knudsen uh, that absolutely blew me away. It was so floral. I didn't have it ever before, and I have never had it since. Wow. So indeed. Um, there clearly have been expressions from the past uh, like that. Perhaps Jamaican Blue Mountain was once upon a time a great coffee. Do you think that uh, the technology is really going to move us towards another higher level in terms of coffee quality? I don't know if, well, technology in some areas, no doubt. What technology is primarily doing is, is raising the fair average quality overall. Isn't and that- you can see that continue. And this is going to be a big problem for farmers in Latin America, East Africa, who are in more mountainous, uh, steep areas where they cannot mechanize. And a lot of the innovations cannot be, be made. It's a much more manual uh, labor type product will always be. And if people are not going to be willing to pay the price and explore single origin, single farm copies, you can kiss them goodbye. That brings to mind another question just about being quality overall. And um, how do you think, Like, and I'm just going to talk about the specialty coffee industry right now and not the overall industry. Do you think that, that the specialty industry is doing everything it can to just continually raise quality from, from seed to cup, or are they, they dropping the ball anywhere? Well, I think, one, specialty coffee is just too, too, too much of a big word. Uh, you know, it encompasses too many different people and companies. Do I think the SCAA is doing all it can? In some areas, uh, they're training uh, in terms of cupping that is spreading uh, throughout Latin America and elsewhere. I think that's absolutely great. And they've been involved with some really great programs. So I think there is a lack of discipline and uh, a lack of focus that really needs to be tightened more towards a clean cup, which has everything to do with the processing of coffee and reflects directly on the craftsmanship and commitment on the part of the farmer and the processor, which is nowhere near emphasized enough. 
uh, and which requires, by the way, when you go to the NCAA conventions and, and you cup and you taste or cup the coffees that they're presenting, often the the roast, every coffee is roasted differently, dark, light. There is a lack of discipline there that needs to be tightened. On the other hand, there are some major players throughout the country in specialty who are really, really working towards raising the bar. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's an exciting moment. Well, tell, tell me who those companies are, George. Uh, well, besides us, us and us, uh, <laughs> terroir, there is um, Intelligentsia is, uh, is clearly one of them. Another one is uh, Stumptown, uh, Heinz, um, a, a number of them uh, Would- that you know, do not come up immediately to mind. But is there, George, certainly some of them. to interrupt you there, it's, is it, is it some special dynamic within those companies that oh, makes them? Counterculture is another one, by the way. Counterculture, right. right. Is there a special dynamic or, or like, for instance, you mentioned counterculture and, and intelligentsia. I happen to know that both those companies have extremely intense and knowledgeable green bean buyers. Uh, there's, there's, uh, Jeff Watts at Intelligentsia. And there's yeah. Peter Giuliano at Counterculture. Is that part of the magic formula for a specialty coffee company to really raise the bar and continually seek higher quality coffee? Well, they're essential. Uh, I mean, it's people like those who have supported Cup of Excellence over and over again. And that, uh, you know, that's growing. Another company that's entered uh, recently that, uh, that I've become aware of is Echo, for instance. Um, and I'm sure there are others that, that I'm just not thinking of right now. So we need, farmers need more and more players who are really willing to step up to the plate and buy these single origin coffees and pay far more than the fair, than the fair trade price for coffee. Goodness gracious, that should be the, the bargain basement bottom <laughs> that a farmer is paid for good quality. I do agree. And, and the other thing too is that, uh, the, the the term, this term is bandied about a lot, a direct relationship, that term. Yeah. Um, but it really, you know, I don't even think direct relationship really says exactly what goes on between a green bean buyer like a Jeff Watts and the farmers they, that he deals with. Um, there's well, a, yeah, that uh, is developing. It's helping the farmer improve their process uh, more and more as, as time goes by and working with them. And again, those relationships, many of them were, these farms were found through Cup of Excellence. Cup of Excellence, the whole point that I had with Cup of Excellence was to uh, find farms, name them, so that they could become players, equal players to their buyers, like Intelligentsia, uh, where there's a partnership, as you find in wine, for goodness sake. Uh, right. The same thing. But then the next step that really, and I think this is where terroir really goes beyond any anyone else, not only in this country but in the world, is in keeping the green, unroasted coffee really fresh from start to finish. Uh, so that a year later, the coffee that you've got in your warehouse isn't in a sack, isn't in a jute bag still hanging around, but it is airtight, kept in a special container, and frozen. This is sort of your latest mission, is dealing with freshness of the grain. That, to me, this is the untold story. It's the, it's amazing. It's an indication of just how young our industry is. You know, tea and wine are both thousands of years old. Coffee is a brand new baby business. Uh, it came out of the Middle Ages, and it is very much dependent on uh, the development of technology and brewing to, to really come to its heights. Uh, we're only now developing a tradition in coffee, in my opinion. Espresso, after all, only started becoming perfected in the 1950s, for starters. Right. Uh, same way with drip, really. On the green bean Wait. freshness issue, you've you've oh, actually yeah, go ahead. you've done some. Uh, I know that you've done some really intense research and study into the effects of of coffee being aged, what I guess we'd call naturally, in just a jute bag. Versus um, some fairly expensive equipment, I believe you've invested in your freezing system. Well, it's we are freezing it uh, in special warehouses, forty below, and then just bringing in what we need for that week uh, to roast, and that really stops the aging process. 
Every green coffee bean contains oils. The oils have the aromatics within them that make a coffee special. The floral, the fruit, all of that. Those quickly dissipate in the air that is around them and oxidize over time. Uh, they also, uh, you know, they start to transform. And so you go from sweet fruit floral and lively flavors to duller flavors, woodier flavors, and more generic flavors over the period of one year, which is how long you retain coffee. Like Kenya and so on, the great ones, they're harvested once a year. It's the main crop that you want to buy. So like the great Kenya is harvested late November. It comes to me in June. I freeze it right away. I'm freezing it as we speak. I'm still selling that coffee in January, this December, January, February, March. Other people's coffee is getting older and older. Now, if you dark roast the coffee, you will not notice it as much. With a light roast like what we do, where we're emphasizing floral and fruit and what's intrinsic in the coffee bean itself, with as small a signature as possible, it's like taking away the dark varnish so you can see the grain. Mm -hmm. It's essential. Well, you know, George, we have actually a question from um, one of our forum members. His name is Robert, and it has to do with a lot of questions about your freezing system in particular. He's actually asked about eight questions. I'm going to just toss a few of them out to you. Uh, he wanted to know what sort of costs are associated with the freezing system that you use, and what sort of volume would a roaster have to, to have to justify the cost of such a system? It's expensive. You know, let's say three to ten cents a per month that you're holding it if you find the right place. But on top of that, you've got delivery costs and then costs of getting the coffee back out again. The costs mount daily uh, and monthly. Um, that means I do, that's one of the reasons why our coffee is more expensive than anyone else's. But the difference is radical. And then he also asks, um, like, would you encourage local roasters in a geographic area to set up their own freezer storage co-op to, to, to save costs? And also, when do you believe that freezing green beans will become an industry standard? I don't know. Um, I, you know, a lot of people hesitate. It's a, it's a major test to see whether this market can be developed. I chose to come back because this is an issue with me. I really want to move the ground forward to, to a completely different level in quality. But it is risky for anyone to do this because your costs are so high. Um, I would recommend that, number one, anybody... Anybody who's going to do this has to be totally committed and believing in it, like I am. Uh, I became a complete believer because we did it first over several years by doing it with samples. We would take 100-gram samples that I would roast for my ProBot sample roaster, and we froze it, and the results were spectacular. And so I have that experience, but I would recommend people start there first and see for themselves. Is this also something you now we, we we primarily talk to a to a consumer audience? Is this something that you would recommend that that uh, home roasters would do with any green any green beans that they buy? Yeah, anything they want to hold. You can now you're talking libraries. Now, how how would you recommend that they do it? Like, what kind of equipment would you suggest for a home roaster to buy? You can buy these uh, small these machines. They're sandwich type uh, wrappers or whatever that suck the air out, vacuum it. Oh yes, the vacuum seal. Okay. okay, so one of those, and so you take your your green coffee, uh, whatever quantity you want, one roast's worth, and you package it that way, and now you freeze it. As long as the seal holds, it will hold up indefinitely. Is the speed of the freezing process important? I have not found it to be so. So they could just stick it in their normal freezer, no worries? Yes, that's been my experience. Oh, that's great. It's so radically different from, you know, the, the freezing roasted coffee, which is just one of the things that drives me nuts. It's only buy enough roasted coffee for you to brew in a week. and I, Ideally. Not not a day goes by without me getting an email from someone asking me, how can I store my coffee? Is freezing better than fridge? And the act of freezing roasted coffee, it gives me the, the willies. But uh, I've never, ever thought before of freezing my green coffee. Well, 
try it and let me know what you think. For sure, and, uh, Derek. For me. To get back into to what we were talking about, uh, the reason why you freeze the coffee and the reason why you're doing all this is because this is a this is a new area. This is like green as a fresh source. Do you think that the you're kind of the pioneer in this? Is is this something that that other companies are starting to look at, or is it just kind of terroir? Right now, I do think it's strictly terroir, um, and I think probably companies are going to become involved in this as they see us proceed forward and see what the reaction is. But it always takes a few brave souls, <laughs> namely terroir in this case, uh, you know, to prove its point. Uh, I imagine you've done a lot of blind testing of frozen versus non-frozen green samples. Is that correct? Uh, yes, we have, especially in the earlier days. That was exactly what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, it's really interesting, and this is just... What I like about this is it's something that the home roaster can definitely do and and do relatively easily to see if there is a difference. Well, and it's something, again, that uh, even if that home roaster is, you know, thinking of buying, say, a Costa Rican in December, they're going to get it from somebody else, again, who's had it in the open air that whole time. That is true. Uh, So they have to source the fresh stuff. I would say. Right. that brings up another point. I, I just discovered recently that you sell green coffee to, to home roasters. Yes. We have another question from our forum. Uh, it says, as a home roaster, I've been enjoying your Deterra Farm Northern Italian blend. Do you, George, have any tips or pointers when roasting these beans at home? One, depending, uh, the roaster that you have is, is very important. I Let's think. assume they haven't. I haven't done a study in at least a year plus. Um, can I make recommendations, Mark, on terms of the coffee roaster I've liked? Well, I, why don't we give recommendations for, say, an air roaster and then for a drum roaster like the Hot Top? So far, I don't like any of the drum roasters. No? Uh, you you have to go all the way to a ProBot in the thousands of dollars to get one that, that I like. The Rosto was the one I found best a year, a year and a half ago when I tested a, a number of air machines out. The Cafe Rosto? Yes. It was the one that came, gave the sweetest, cleanest coffee flavor. It didn't bake the coffee at all or over-roast it. Interesting. So uh, if, if, if someone was using a Cafe Rosto to roast your, your Deterra single-origin coffee, is there any recommendations you would give? Like what level of roast should they take to take you're it You're going to? right up to the second pop. And as that's beginning, that's where you stop it. That's perfect. So, babe, you're going for what we on the West Coast call, I guess, a full city roast? I guess. Now, it's tricky because, of course, we're roasting in a probot barrel roaster, if you will. And uh, now you're dealing with more than airflow. Uh, and, and so it's different. With a pure air roaster, you will have brighter notes. And whether to develop the exact body that we've got with ours will be tricky. Uh, you may need to go a little further. I don't know to what degree you can adjust it. That would be some interesting experiments to conduct for Ooh, people. Very good. Actually, George, I, I have a question for you that uh, regarding home roasters in general. I mean, what as, as a professional in the business is, is sort of a pioneer in so many things. What What's your opinion? What's your take on, on this home roasting phenomenon that's really – Kind of happened in the in the the 1990s and and the early part of this this uh, this decade. Well, I think it's great. I mean, uh, I mean, the people who are home roasting are are people who are willing to really spend the time to uh, to explore coffee, and I I, th- I just think that's great. Uh, what I would and they they should really challenge, use their roasters for learning purposes. And for comparing. And the website is, is terroircoffee.com. That's T-E-R-R-O-I-R coffee.com. That's exactly right. And that's where you sell all your, all your, uh, roasted and green coffees as well as a retail packaged item? Yes. Perfect. Actually, you know, George, I have a question. What are your, what have been your absolute favorite single origin coffees? Oh, well, in the long period of time that, uh, you know, that I was out of the, uh, actually roasting my own coffee and such, the one I lived on was La Menita from Costa Rica. 
Ah. So that's one staple. Uh, just so consistent and so smooth uh, on that. I think um, uh, Tom from Sweet Maria's has a great description of La Menita on, on his website. Another truly great one is the uh, Kenya. Uh, the, the finest Kenya double A's are truly one of the great expressions in the world. And you, if you go to Kenya, or another one is Ergashev. These are two places that are unique this way. And you look at what the farmers are doing. They're bringing in nothing but absolutely red cherry. They're actually doing what everybody hears about. But you rarely, rarely see, and I travel a lot. Pure red cherry, and that's it. And the labor involved in that is immense. And it comes out in the cup. The Kenya coffee, when it's right, and it's hard to find it, but if you get one that's a bullseye, there is nothing sweeter in the world than that coffee. Uh, and it's because it's 100% ripe. Uh, another up-and-coming one that way is Rwanda. Uh, this year absolutely amazed me uh, what they came up with. So everyone, forward to that. Everyone seems to be talking about that Rwanda this year. It is spectacular. And I've had, but I've not been able to get a lot like that yet, but what I call uh, the Andean coffee profile. Uh, I've had one coffee from Peru, and I'm desperate to try to find another one. This was while I was doing my consulting. And one from Colombia, but again, never repeated in either case, which is a flavor profile utterly unique to that area, as much as the blackberry blackcurrant is to Kenya, which extends when you get the very best down through Tanzania, Zimbabwe, and, and Burundi. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's as unique. And frankly, again, you just don't. I, I uh, in all the coffees I've seen, you that's not come out. As as standards rise and as consumers start to pay more and think of coffee more like wine and are willing to really incentivize farmers to do all they can, and as farmers learn to treat their coffees more like wine and and love their coffees and drink their coffees, and most farmers don't. We are going to come into expressions of coffee that people simply haven't even dreamed of. Now, as far as your current offerings on on the Terrar Coffee website, if you had to only recommend one, what would you recommend right now? <laughs> I know I'm I'm putting you on the spot a bit, George. <laughs> well, certainly if they haven't tried the Rwanda, they need to. Rwanda is extraordinary in the sense that it has some Urgashev aspects to it. I was expecting Kenya-like. And I got Urgashev Ethiopian. I was absolutely amazed. But maybe a little more body and something else as well. Uh, still a coffee that I'm exploring as, as I drink it. Wow. Uh, so that's one. If you haven't tried the espresso and you're an espresso fan, you know, the, the Daterra North Italian, I'd, I'd ask people to do that one as well. Very and, good. Um, then and- we've got the new crops. New crops are coming in, so I would say look for the cup of excellences that we've bought. That'll happen in the next couple of months. Uh, there are some really amazing coffees so far from uh, that we've picked up from Nicaragua and Honduras um, that have what I call uh, what I'm starting to pick up on as a uh, as the Latin American profile, or I should say the Central American profile. Very cool. I'm I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to trying those coffees myself. Um, we have one more question from our forum, and it's going to take us in a bit of a direct, different direction. It's from Jeremy, and he says, um, Mr. Howell, other than don't do it, what is the most important piece of advice you can give to folks interested in starting a small roasting business or small cafe? Mm, that's very, very, very hard. The small roaster is in a real bind. That is an advantage that I have. I am one of those small roasters right now. But, of course, with the name, reputation, and everything I have, uh, I often have the clout of a much larger one, and I'm, I'm very lucky that way. I would say tra- uh, go to the countries, participate in every possible cupping you can, develop your cupping skills. That's key. Uh, you need to have a sample roaster there. Do not depend on any importer telling you what to buy and what not to buy. Don't buy from a single one. You have got to 
you've got to be able to get samples even if you have to pay for them uh, or else your quality is not going to be there. Perhaps I should be giving economic advice and business <laughs> advice, but that's not where my mind is. It's, it's all in the coffee. Tell me if I'm wrong. But one thing I like about this this uh, whole kind of third wave of, of coffee people as of late, like, again, to bring up a Peter Giuliano or a uh, uh, a Jeff Watts or, or a, um, a Dwayne Sorensen, is that if you are really serious about wanting to get into the business and become a roaster, uh, those guys will, will take you to origin. They'll, they'll take you with them on their trips. Well, that's right. Uh, when you start talking to the real quality people, you do start to, uh, you, you, you run into a community that is phenomenally open and ready to share. And I would say that a door to that, a big door, not only the Roasters Guild, but to me, even better, is Cup of Excellence. Participate. Get samples from there and, uh, and try to get, you know, to get on a jury by becoming more experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and does, does Cup of Excellence have a website? Yeah. Uh, and it is, uh, what is the website? www.cupofexcellence.org. Dot org? Yes. Awesome. And, uh, you know, it costs some money to belong, but not very much. And, uh, you should try to get those samples. And, uh, even if you have to use, uh, you know, a, uh, a Rosto type roaster or whatever, you should do that. Uh, again, and, and last thing is when you're cupping coffee, please, less adjectives. And all this foaming at the mouth about this and that. And the first two things and the most important things are clean cup and sweetness. Sweetness has to do with ripeness and uh, clean cup has to do with process. That's the craftsmanship that the farmer uses. That's what the farmer should be paid for. Excellent stuff, George. I think I, I think I sense a possible third interview down the road just about cupping. <laughs> I think, I think we're going to wrap it up now, George, but like, it's just been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you and to, to sort of get your voice out to our readership. I, I think uh, our listeners are just going to be absolutely thrilled listening to, to your sage words and, and, you know, some of your experiences in, in the coffee business. And I, well, the last thing I might say is they can also check out uh, georgehowell.com, uh, which is non-commercial. Right oh. now all I have is the last trip I did with a bunch of, quality super folks to Ethiopia. I I can see the slides and some of my comments there. I even heard a rumor about georgehowell.com that it may turn into a blog. Uh, That's a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) Where George is posting updates every few days. Oh, if I only can find the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once again, thank you very much, George. It's been great having you here, and um, I look forward to not only talking to you again soon, but also trying some of uh, your new crop as well as uh, some of the current stuff. Well, thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Take care. You too.